No, I'm just wondering if I should wait until people get back. It's been such a long time since we've had kids leave midway through the service. <laughs> trying to work out who might come back and who stays out is um, going to be tricky. But that's all right. <sighs> How nice has it been this morning, actually? And I say this, <laughs> fully aware of the irony of me saying this. How nice has it been to have the kids in? <laughs> um, to actually spend time um, singing with them and sharing communion with them. and Because um, it's been such a long time since we've actually done things. We've had a couple of weeks of bits and pieces, but it's been such a long time since we've actually done things with the children. Um, they've been out in their program and we finished immediately after they've come back in. And so it's just nice to... Um, to hear them and see them. I noticed Oliver was doing the actions for the last song that we were doing. I was like, that's really sweet. Elias is obsessively reading the Bible. I don't know. Angela was dead. Like, just all these things that we kind of miss out on as adults. The I think he's looking for the pictures. I think that's what's happening. I'm also very excited that, like, our token American family has brought the kid in the AFL gear. <laughs> Judson is... Yeah, yeah, it's fully integrated into... <laughs> He's more into AFL than I am, which, to be honest, is not hard, but <laughs> I just love it. Okie dokie, well, I might... I think some of our parents are either out permanently or will be potentially a little while. So thanks, kids, for staying in. Hopefully um, some of the things that I say will be a bit engaging, but we only worked out yesterday that... or Friday... That were going to be in, so I didn't have time to adjust what I was doing to make it super kid friendly. Um, the other thing is that there are some really good tables in the notes, which is a bit of a bummer if you don't have yours. There is worth knowing. Sorry, I just remembered. In the back of your notes, if you still have them, some of the images in the notes are quite small and on quite dark backgrounds and so not the easiest to read. So um, I have the last page. I've um, badly photocopied and replicated the um, the tables that we've been using. So this is the, the um, trajectory of where the Bible is going and how the people are responding to the, um, to the, the story that God is telling. This one is a table that doesn't actually exist in the notes, which I would think is a really helpful table, but it's it's the whole Bible and looking at where the the people, place and rule and blessing is sitting all the way through. I haven't mentioned it before because it's a bit of a cheat sheet as well because it kind of reveals things a bit soon. Um, but the other really helpful thing is that this is, which is helpful for today with the prophets, this is the, um, the indication of where uh, the prophets are speaking and which books of the Bible are speaking to which people and when. So because the books of the prophets aren't in chronological order, um, this I think is quite helpful because it sort of has some dates and things like that in terms of where the northern kingdom is and where the southern kingdom is and who's prophesying to those kingdoms at that time. So I find this really helpful to sort of, especially if I'm sort of reading an obscure prophet, to sort of think this is where it is in the history of the Jewish people as to who they're speaking to, what situation they're in, and um, yeah, and it gives a bit of context which helps to understand it a bit better. So these are really, I find, really helpful tables to think about. This is where the Bible, the whole Bible is going. This is where the people, place, and kingdom is sitting. 
like I said, it's photocopied badly. Um, and this is um, where the prophets are speaking to and who the, um, what sort of point in history they're speaking. So that is also from God's big picture, the book, rather than the notes that I have for you. But they are, that page is in the notes. It's just the very last page. Okay. I'm going to pray. And then... Oh, so good. So good. We'll see how long the quietness lasts. <clears throat> okay. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for bringing us together today and for giving us your word that we might learn and... Um, be shaped by it. We thank you for your spirit who helps us to understand and apply the words that we read. And we thank you for you, for the ways that you have um, opened up the way to relationship with God. That not only are you... Um, what the whole Bible points towards, but you also came to us as a person, a full person. You showed us what it was to live a life in total and complete servanthood relationship to the Father. You showed us that example and then you died and rose again so that we don't have to rely on us living up to that example to be in relationship. We thank you that uh, you sh have shown all through history who you are, what your character is, and that as a result of the fulfilment of all your promises so far and the character that you have shown towards us, that we can rely and trust in the promises that you have made that are yet to come to fruition. We look forward to a day when that is completely fulfilled and we are in the new heavens and the new earth with you. But until that time, we thank you for the encouragement of the word and the trust that we can place in you because of your steadfastness and your faithfulness. We look forward to what you will teach us today through your word and how we will see you in it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okie dokie. So, again, Vaughan Roberts material, not mine. Um, yeah. And it's good stuff, I think. <laughs> I hope you agree. <coughs> oh, I'm not doing well with the throat today. <coughs> yeah, I do have it, but it's because <coughs> it's I drank coffee this morning. It's delicious coffee, but... Okie dokie. So, <clears throat> up until this point, we are now in week six of nine. So, we've only got three to go after this one. So, I'm sure you're all just inconsolably sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's only three more weeks. I don't know what's coming up after me. Uh, some May Mission Month stuff. May Mission Month stuff. Oh, awesome. Excellent. That's a really good... That, oh, I love it. Good. Because we will have learnt and then we'll be sharing. Winner. <laughs> love it. It's almost like Jesus sorted that out for us. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Hello, internet, too, while I think of it. Okay.
So we have had all these different kingdoms up until this point. Sorry, not kingdoms. All these different, well, yes, kingdoms, P kingdoms. Can anyone remember week one? <laughs> Thanks, Judson. <laughs> You've been listening so attentively every week from Sunday school. It's very impressive. <laughs> we have the pattern of the kingdom. Week two, the fall. Perished, excellent, perished kingdom. Week three, was it the promised? <laughs> I think so, yes. Yep, promised kingdom when God um, promised Abraham. Week four. Yes. What was that? Yes! Oh my gosh, you guys are so good. And so that was four and five, the partial kingdom. And then now that we're into the realm of the prophets, this week would be the... Yeah! Prophesied kingdom. Cool, cool. So that's where we're up to. Um, And we have been tracking the people being... Whose people? God's people in God's place under... Yeah. Oh, I love you guys. (laughs) I love that people have been paying attention. So, um, so we've seen, and you'll see from the little um, diagram on the the first of the notes, we've seen this high point of Eden. We've seen the crash down with the fall, and we've seen the sort of the steady with the promise at the bottom, very bottom point, and the steady trajectory up where we've got the exodus, where God's people were identified and taken out of slavery, that the law was given and so his rule and blessing was was introduced um, through the law. We had the conquest of Canaan, so they entered God's place. And the instatement, is that a word if you take the re off? The institution of the kingdom, of the monarchy, sorry. So... Uh, starting with Saul and then pinnacling with David and then hitting Solomon and the riches and then fairly drastically, fairly quickly falling apart. So that's where we sit in the story so far. And so we had the kings that were representing the people to God and God to the people. Um, But then we had the rise of the prophets um, who were God's spokespeople um, speaking God's word to the people. So they were the ones that were sort of saying, remember God's word, we need to, we need to abide by it because if we don't, there are consequences. Um, so we first see um, a real summary of that in 2 Peter one twenty one. I realise there's no testament. Um, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So one of the things to recognise too is that um, we know um, that the Spirit descended upon all believers after Pentecost, but up until this point, the Holy Spirit only existed in certain people for certain tasks, and for some people that was for a long time, and for others it was a short time. So the fact that the prophets had the Holy Spirit meant that they were quite unique amongst the people. 
kings had the Holy Spirit as well, um, if they were obeying and obedient. Um, but also in the building of the temple and the building of the tabernacle, certain people were equipped with specific skills and gifts to be able to contribute to the building of the temple and the tabernacle, um, very practical things. Um, and so the Holy Spirit uh, does not dwell in everybody, he dwelt very specifically for a very specific person. So these people were definitely set apart um, because they were um, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so they were people that should have been listened to very closely <laughs> because they were the only ones that had the Spirit. And yet, obviously, as we know from reading any of the prophets, uh, they were not always treated super well because they weren't always giving messages that the people wanted to hear. So they were speaking God's word and their job was to, for the people, encourage the enforcing of God's covenant. So we tend to think of prophecy as prediction and future telling, um, whereas in a lot of instances they were predicting what is reasonable to assume based on what God had said. So we've got um, Moses as the definitive prophet. He was the one um, that had the first of the spirit indwelling and the law was given to him and he led the people um, with God's supernatural power. And Israel continued to live in the covenant that he shared with them that was the main thrust of his um, prophet role. So he, his, his sort of, the covenant was, as we've talked about, that abundant blessings come from obedience and devastating consequences and curses come from disobedience. So you may remember that a while ago I spoke about two different covenants. There are conditional covenants and there are non-conditional covenants. So the non-conditional covenants are things like the promise that God gave to Abraham where he said, I will make you a nation. There was no caveat on that. It was just, this is what it's going to be. And then the conditional covenants, like the, um, the one given to Moses, where he is told, as long as the people obey, I will bless, but if there's disobedience, there will be judgment. And so there's those two covenants working side by side. Um, so the prophet's context, um, we see an uprising of the prophets, particularly after, because we've had such good high points with David, and he has been a, God, a man after God's own heart, he had prophets working alongside him. So Nathan was one that um, sort of worked alongside him. Uh, but they really rose up and came to prominence because the king started to go a bit wiggy and unhelpful. So we've had the high point of um, David and then Solomon, and then Solomon is a turkey and God says to him, I'm going to bring judgment on you, but I'm going to bring judgment on the next generation, not your own generation. And so literally, as soon as Solomon dies, there's a civil war and the kingdom split. And so uh, we get uh, the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. So that happens in 922 BC under King Jeroboam in the north and I can't remember the other king. Hmm. That's right, Jeroboam in the north. Um, so we've got um, the kingdom splitting in 922 um, and the prophets are particularly active during that downhill period. So in Israel, the northern kingdom, which has 10 of the uh, tribes of Judah involved, 
they have King Jeroboam, and then his his idolatry that continue that he starts continues down through his ancestors. So as you're reading passages in one Kings, you'll read about kings that say he behaved in the way of his fathers, and um, and the law was not read in the land, or that it was just this constant kind of it all went very downhill. Um, there was a lot of building of golden idols. Um, they were away from Jerusalem, so they didn't have access to the temple. So there was no means of becoming right with God. And so because they knew that Jerusalem was important and they needed to do sort of sacrifice and things like that, they found their own spaces to do it. They also found their own ways of doing it. And, um, and God eventually judged them. So 200 years almost exactly. Uh, they were exiled to Assyria. And they were totally destroyed as a people. Um, but it's that area that later became the Samaritans. And so the history of the Jewish versus the Samaritans came about from that original sl- split. So the, Judah, um, the people of Judah in the south had access to Jerusalem and saw themselves as the true believers. They had the king in the line of David, whereas the northern kingdom did not. And so this is where that animosity between the Samaritans and the, um, and the Jewish people came from because they were the northern kingdom was seen as apostatizers, as people who didn't know the real God. Um, and so they were the, the failure. They were the, the dirty ones that missed the point and intermarried and um, became the Samaritan nation. And so that's where all that comes from, which I think is really helpful context to understand. Um, they also started, um, their key place of worship was a particular mountain. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It doesn't really matter. Um, but it was there that the Samaritan woman at the well says, my people tell me to worship on this mountain and yet your people, Jesus' people, tell me that I need to worship in the temple. Who's right? And Jesus says, well, ultimately neither. Your people are definitely wrong, but it won't be long before it's actually irrelevant where you worship because you'll worship in spirit and in truth. Um, so that's some of the history to that kind of setup that's pretty key to understanding why they were so hated, but also where she was coming from in terms of her, I want to be made right with God. How do I go about doing that? And he said, well, actually, soon it won't really matter. If you know me, that'll be all that's important. So that kingdom lasts for 200 years. And like I said, Assyria comes in, wipes them out. They're exiled. That part of Israel is dead and buried, basically. Um, In the south, the kingdom of Judah has, like I said, has Jerusalem as part of their geography. So they have access to the temple and to the palace. Um, But they also have the kings in David's line. So there are some good kings. You have high points and low points. So in this part of the story, you get... um, This king was a king after David and he did right by the people and read the scriptures. Um, One of those particularly high ones is uh, Josiah who goes into the temple one day, has a bit of a clean out, finds the scriptures, reads them, is so devastated that he hadn't read them up until this point that he just totally changes the kingdom and is totally reinvested and suddenly becomes this great king again after God's own heart. So we've got a few of those throughout and so there are some high points where we go, yes, these kings are kings in David's line and are under God's intended system, but... 
the majority of them, again, are not ideal. And as soon as the scriptures get sort of forgotten and shoved away, then the kingdom sort of heads back downhill again. Uh, So really, even though Judah has that king in the line of David and has access to the temple... Overall picture of one, and I love it. Vaughan talks about it being flabby and insidious. So, <laughs> flabby, compromise, and insidious corruption. <laughs> I just think it's gorgeous terminology. Um, horrendous idea, <laughs> but the idea of flimit, uh, flabby compromise, I just think is kind of hilarious. Um, so, and the, the ultimate judgment on them then is that they're defeated by the Babylonians and exiled in 597. So, um, a reasonable time. So, 722 is when um, the northern kingdom is exiled. It's not until 597 that um, the lower kingdom is exiled, BC, obviously. Um, and, and they're partially exiled, but then in 586, um, they are totally decimated. So we see the destruction of the temple, um, we see the destruction of the, um, the palace, and all is in a pretty sad state. Um, they're exiled to Babylon. Cyrus comes in and destroys the whole lot. Cyrus? Babylon, anyway. Um, And so this is where we see in the Psalms, we get that idea, Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept um, because it's all been totally dismantled. Uh, God's people are scattered. God's place has been destroyed. Uh, Sorry, they've been exiled from God's place. Uh, God's rule and blessing has been totally undermined because they have no access to the temple, they have no means of um, becoming right with God. God's presence has also left because there's no temple for him to dwell in. Um, it's a pretty pretty depressing um, state to be in. Um, all through that whole period, the prophets are speaking, calling the people back and saying this is what's going to happen for everybody as it happens. Um, and so the message that they bring uh, is one of um, two prongs. We've got two themes, judgment and hope that they bring. So a message of judgment is the dominant theme of most of the prophets. God's judgment is the reason behind Israel and Judah's destruction. And as I said before, um, the prophets don't always talk in a future tense. They talk in a um, present and past tense. So they've said, we've had these warnings. You know what the consequences are. Pull your head in. You know, you've been told, you've seen it over and over again with the way that God has judged his people, raised someone up because you've cried out and, and you've just fallen back into... There's going to be a point where his patience runs out. And it's a bit like the story of... And I've never experienced this as a parent. When you say, when your child has a brand new pair of shoes and it's been raining outside and you say 
please don't jump in the puddle in your brand new shoes. If you would like to jump in the puddle, we have gumboots. Uh, if you jump in the puddle while you're wearing your brand new shoes, we will have to just go straight inside and you won't be able to play in puddles anymore. And your child makes a beeline for the puddle and you say, remember, I said to you, you can jump in the puddle if you're wearing your gumboots, but in your new shoes, can you please not jump in the puddle? Otherwise, we'll have to go inside. And of course, because children are delightful, they listened and behaved. No, <laughs> they jumped in the puddles. And you say, right, we're going inside. And the child goes, why? But I want to be outside. I want to jump in the puddles. And you're like, no, I, I told you what the... It's less about, I predict that you will, and more about, don't do that thing, because this will happen. And then getting upset at the consequences, the natural consequences of your actions. So, yeah, poor Israel, naughty child. But probably <laughs> quite a good um, summary, and also of us too. So throughout, using his um, prophets, God warns, reminds, and explains. He warns and reminds them that to be faithful to his word, he must punish he must carry out the judgment that he has said that he will. But he also always gives hope in that. So what I should mention now is if you've got your notes with you, you've also got that table that I said is the same as... Oh, no, it's, a dip, it's the same as the one on the back. Um, so uh, one of the things to be aware of is that the prophets in the Old Testament are not in order of chronology they're in order of length. So you've got the major prophets who aren't more important than the others, they've just got really long books. And then the minor prophets that have really short books, um, it's not importance, it's just size. And they're in size order. So if you read them in order, it can get quite confusing. But we've got Amos and Hosea that primarily um, deal with stuff in the northern kingdom. Uh, we then have in order the 8th century Isaiah, Micah and Jeremiah. They then go into exile in the 7th century and it's just as they're returning, um, sorry, at, at the very lowest point of their second exile that Ezekiel and Daniel are speaking, which is why they've got that whole sort of very future mentality of um, crazy imagery and um, that kind of prophesying, um, because they're trying to inspire the people whilst they're in exile. And then once they return, you've got Haggai, Malachi and Zechariah talking about um, the new kingdoms and the new earth um, and the return to the land. So like I said, we've got God's covenant that is conditional. So Moses' covenant, um, disobey and you lose God's blessing. But you've got in the, the weight of that, the unconditional that Abraham got. I will bless you. You will be my people. So we've had the, the judgment side of things, but then there's the hope side of things that God also needs to follow through on to be faithful to himself and to his word. So then we've got this message of hope that comes through. So what that message generally says is that we won't rebuild the partial kingdom. We won't ever go back to what we were before. But we're in the process now of building the real thing. So we've done the partial bit where it was almost great, but it was a bit of a mess. Now we're in the process of actually building the real kingdom. 
Um, so the, the images that we use point to the future hope. Um, so he's taking the, the prophets and God, primarily because he's speaking through them, taking the images that have been sort of used throughout the history to this point and making them much bigger. Um, so as far as people are concerned... Um, because what he's also trying to say is that the judgment that he's doing is a discipline, it's not a divorce. It's not a severing of relationship, it's actually to make the relationship whole again. So he's saying, I am faithful to you, especially because when his presence left the temple, there's this real sense of, is God, does God even still care? Is God even with us? Um, has he abandoned his people full stop? And so, it, especially when they've been ejected from the land, they're under foreign rule, um, there's no sense of being able to get back. They've seen, the southern kingdom has seen that the northern kingdom has been totally destroyed, and they're left sitting going, does God even care? Have we so drastically made a mess that there's no return? So through his prophets, God says, take heart. <laughs> there are other parts to my promise that are still to be fulfilled. So we see in amongst the people, we see a new exodus. So Jeremiah 16, 14 to 15 says, However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but it will be said, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. So already we're getting bigger picture. It's not just the southern kingdom. It's the north and the countries where they've become banished to. We see a new Passover lamb, Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Some of you boys will know this song. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I feel like Grace would know that one. No? Good old Colin. Um, so we know that there's somebody coming where the iniquity of all people has been laid on him. Uh, we also get that all nations are included. So Isaiah 49.6 says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So that bigger picture is already expanding as to who the people of God are going to be. We've got place. Um, we see that the place is where his people can meet with him. Um, so we have um, a new temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48, which obviously I'm not going to read because it's nine chapters. Um, but we have a picture from Ezekiel of that just after the destruction of the temple, he sees a new temple with rivers flowing out of it, um, giving life to the whole world. Uh, we get the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, like the old Eden, but with flowing rivers that nourish all. A, better, a bigger and better picture of um, the temple at the place of God's, crea or God's people can go. Um, and Isaiah 65, 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And so that's where our understanding of not a... Um, 
not a um, a repaired kingdom, but a whole new um, kingdom comes from. Um, and it's the New Testament that shows us that actually this this earth and these heavens will be restored and perfected and made sinless. Um, but rather than just there'll be a new temple where you can keep doing the old stuff, there will be a whole new system, um, a whole new place for you that is much bigger than just one nation. And then we see the rule and blessing extended. So we will have both unconditional and conditional covenants met uh, with much rejoicing. So we have a new covenant in covenant in Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And a new king in Isaiah nine six. For us for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Very exciting stuff. So good to know when you're sitting in exile and you feel like God has abandoned you, that there is still a plan in place and it's going to be bigger and better than anything you've ever seen before. Amazing stuff. And you would be longing for it. I just imagine when you're sitting in Babylon and you're at war with the Babylonians and you're under foreign authority and you think... We had it so good. How good was it under David? And here we are, not even sure if God even is interested in us. And these prophets are coming and saying such hopeful things. They're also saying things we don't want to hear, like it's our own fault. And so we're going to treat them pretty badly. Um, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a long career plan being a prophet. Um, you normally weren't particularly liked and you died fairly early. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a huge... I can't imagine parents kind of wished for their children to be prophets <laughs> when they were being, yeah, <laughs> growing up. It's like, oh, gosh, stop speaking those things. You'll be become a target. So what we see as a result of this stuff is that um, God has intentions that his people will be the new Israel, including the nations, not just Israel, that God's place will be the new temple and the new creation, and that God's rule and blessing will be the new covenant and the new king, the new perfect king. Um, but then the question is, when we've had all these prophets talking about it for so long, and obviously that particular period from five, from the 8th century to the 6th century, where all these prophecies were being made and all that kind of stuff, you know, good 200 years, 2,000 years, sorry. When? So what we've got towards the end, at the 6th century... With Haggai, Malachi and Zechariah, we see the return from exile. This is where Cyrus comes in. <laughs> I was trying to remember my, my classical theology. Um, sorry, my classical um, Greek and Persian and Roman. The return from exile. So Cyrus of Persia defeats Assyria. And Cyrus's way, way of controlling the people is very different. Um, the Persians were so successful in their... Uh, triumph over a lot of nations in the world because they actually allowed the people that they conquered to still keep their own system of religion. And so 
people were much more likely to be happy with the Persian kings because they were allowed to do their own thing. They just had to pay tribute to the king. So rather than coming in, as had been done before, and forcing your own faith practices on your new... Frank, please. Turn it down, please. (sighs) You've been so good for so long. It's been fantastic. It's... Yeah, we're winding up. It's okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the Persians said in order to sort of create peace in the land and to mean that we have fewer uprisings amongst the people that we've conquered and to make sure that our um, empire is more stable, we'll actually allow people to worship the way that they need to. So the Persians actually gave the Israelites permission to return back to... Israel to the land of Canaan and to rebuild the temple. It wasn't seamless, but it was, um, it was more than they'd been given permission to do before. So they went back in, they rebuilt the temple. That was in three, 538 BC. And we have Ezra and Nehemiah and the temple and the city walls being rebuilt. And yet we have at the end of that... Um, Oh, I don't have that verse. Um, we have at the end of that where we see the temple is built and the young men celebrate. They're like, hooray, we're back where we're meant to be. But the old men weep because they know that the new temple that they've built is nothing like what the old one was, that it was small and hinky and not the bigger, grander picture that God had painted for them. So they knew that they weren't where they were supposed to be, but the young people got all excited because it's like, yeah, we're on our way. And it's like, well, yes, but you have no idea what you're actually missing out on. So it kind of comes to a point where Malachi 3.1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to this temple, to his temple, The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then they wait. Now we know, because of where we sit, that the person Malachi was speaking about was John, announcing the new king, um, the messenger preparing the way before. And then the Lord will come. But the people of Israel had to wait 400 years for that. And in the meantime, there is no king and things go wrong. And so Malachi points forward to a future kingly hope. But that's where the Old Testament ends. And we have 400 years of silence where God doesn't raise up a prophet. His kings make a mess. There is no word from God. And that's why our scriptures end. That's why the Old Testament ends, because God stops speaking to his people. They are just waiting for the next step, which is why when Mark starts, there is a man coming from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I get goosebumps. (laughs) I'm getting them now. Because suddenly the silence is broken. And can you imagine being part of that? 
and seeing this man come crashing out who looks like a wild man who's been eating locusts and honey and you think there's not enough protein in locusts. Your teeth must be terrible from all that honey. (laughs) And he's wearing like this weird outfit and he just comes out and suddenly, suddenly it's starting. I can totally understand Zechariah freaking out when the angel comes to him in the temple and says, you're going to have a son and he's going to announce Jesus. Could you imagine being that dad (laughs) when your wife is going to be miraculously pregnant and it's going to be your kid that is the generation that sees the king that God has been promising since Genesis chapter 3? And that's what we'll talk about next week. (laughs) So we're finally in the New Testament next week. (sighs) I love it. Only three weeks to go. So I'm going to pray for us. And then kids, you might need to stand up and get some jollies out. I'm going to pray for us as we sit in that tension. Lord God, what a privilege this is to study this knowing what we know now, that we are not stuck in the, is it going to happen? What will it look like? That you have seen fit bring us into your world at a time where we can know who Jesus is that we can rest in him and look back on this as history we thank you that you have given us not only that experience but the enormous privilege of knowing Jesus for ourselves and being able to put our trust in him And as a result, also receiving your Holy Spirit, who you have so generously poured out on everyone who believes. We thank you that we can make mistakes and know that they are dealt with. We thank you that uh, we do not sit in a silence where we wonder if, uh, if you're there in a massive sense where we can come to your word and know that you are with us that you have done all that has been required for us to be with you in the new heavens and new earth that you have promised and we thank you that you are so consistent and faithful to your character that what you say will happen we know will happen We look forward to that time. We know that we also live in a time where that is not yet fulfilled. There are still groanings. There are still struggles. There are still horrendous things that exist in our world and that we deal with day to day. But we thank you for the hope that we can totally rely on, that this is not all there is and that you will repair it. We thank you for that hope. We pray that you plant it so deep within us that we cannot help but proclaim it loudly. 
that in graciousness and humility, but with desperation and earnestness, that we would share that with those who don't yet know that hope. We look forward to what you'll do in us, how you'll change us, but how we'll also share that with the world so that more can know it. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.